Welcome to the Life Church. We are so excited that you've tuned into our program to listen to a wonderful message. On behalf of Pastor Walt Landers, our senior pastor, we just want to say thank you. Our mission here at the Life Church is to connect people with God's purpose. If you don't already have a church home, we want to invite you to join us at 3301 TLC Way. Now let's prepare our hearts to receive a word from God through this morning's message. We do have a, uh, you know, I, I want to say a special guest, but at the same time, he's, he's really, you know, he's been coming so many years, and he's part of the family. Uh, he serves on our apostolic board, um, our oversight board, and so not only do we have trustees and elders locally, but we also have a another outside board that uh, if listen as a church, if we ever hit an impasse, we ever hit something, these are the guys that would come in and help guide us through that. Aren't you glad we've got some good folks in the ministry that love this church and are willing to offer themselves to help in even even in times like that? But with that, the I mean, the incredible wisdom and the anointing and the ministry that him and Ginger have, have been to this church and uh, to, for Joanne and I, it has been such a great blessing through the years. Give a good welcome as Dr. Carmen comes and just delivers the Word of God today. Well, God bless you, and what means so much to Ginger and I especially is the friendship that we have uh, garnered and seen grow over the years with your pastors, Pastor Walton, Joanne. Amazing couple. We've got to know, we know we've been part, we've been a part of this church and we go way back to the old, old, old building. And, uh, I mean the real old building. I remember that. But just to watch all of the things God's done, what always excites me is every time I come, I know the one thing that Pastor Walt is going to, is going to always have something new in the horizon. Uh, he, he never lives out of memory. He lives out of imagination. And there's a big difference. You don't want to live out of memory. You live out of memory, you live in the past. You live out of imagination. It's always, you're always going forward. I always get inspired. I always get challenged. It's amazing what God has done. And I love, you know, the life church. Life is the most singular, most used word in the Bible. The theme of the Bible is life. God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Jesus came that we might have life. Paul walked to walk in newness of life. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the tree of life. I mean, everything in the Bible is about life. And so the life church, it comes to bring life, and it's expanding all over the state of Texas. Isn't that fantastic? Amen. Amen. So it's just it's great to be here. You guys, through your pastors, have helped us and supported us for so many years. And one of the things just recently that we launched, just for your information, is what we call the 412 Leadership School based on Ephesians 412, tells you to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's a 29, there's 29 videos, and that has been, we've just signed a five-year contract with Oral Roberts University with that's concerned. The exciting part of that, which this church through your pastors have been a part of, it's all being subtitled. The entire school is being subtitled in Farsi, which means it'll go into the nation of Iran. We have a tremendous uh, opportunity there through TV, cable, and satellite they are not the potential, the actual audience is three to five million people every time we broadcast. But what we've created is a leadership school in order to train a minimum of 100,000 men and women in the nation of Iran. Iran, as you know, is the number one sponsor of terrorism in the world. 
the sworn enemy of Israel. They said the Ayatollah, when he got, when, uh, never, well, when Obama cut that deal with the, with, with the nation of Iran, the Ayatollah, he said in 25 years the Zionists, meaning the Jewish people, would no longer exist. They're the sworn enemy of Israel. That's the government, not the people. They're Persians. They're converting to Christ right now faster per capita than any nation in the earth. They did it for the last nine years. Their conversion rate, they're doubling their conversion rate to Christ every four years. There's 80 million Iranians. There's about 5 million Christians right now. The exponential curve will hit. Once that thing hits, that thing's going to explode. And so we're launching a school into that nation. If we can change the balance of Iran, we can change the balance of the Middle East, which can affect the entire... It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity that rarely comes around. It came around when the Soviet Union broke up. And it, it, it went, went after World War II when Japan fell, there was the same opportunity. When the Soviet Union broke up, there was the same opportunity. Now that same opportunity is about to hit the nation of Iran, and it's going to hit in a very short time because the government's about to implode. I work with Iranians. It's about to implode. And when it implodes, there's going to be an open door. They estimate, the Iranians that I'm working with right now said the minimal, they, what they call the low-hanging fruit, that'll come to Christ is 25 million in a nation of 80 million. That's the, that's the low-hanging fruit. But like all baby Christians, a baby will stick anything in its mouth. And a baby Christian will swallow anything. That's why we've got to produce leaders. We've got to produce a biblical paradigm inside of them to discern right from wrong, to get a biblical perspective of life so they could, so they could steward the harvest that's about to come. You guys are a part of that. So I'm excited about it. Hopefully it'll be launched in a short time. I've got a segment to it. We've got another Iranian that's providing another segment. Uh, pray for him. His name is Harmos Shariot. The, as soon as we launched this thing, his retina detached in one eye, then his retina went bad in the other eye, then he has uh, um, uh, E. coli, and then he has prostrate. I mean, we really pray. He was attacked one, I mean, as I was filming, all of these things began to happen in his life. And he's a pivotal point. So pray for, if you remember, it's called Iran Alive, and pray for him. He needs prayer. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I was going to read a scripture from Habakkuk, but I think I'm going to skip it. Um, instead, I'm going to go right into because because I'm conscious of our time, and I want to get to the heart of this. I was reading an article this morning. Just so happened, I like the Drudge Report. One of the reasons why, because the Drudge it just it just filled with just headlines. So I looked at this one and I clicked it and I was reading it, and I was shocked at what I saw. It said that over the last year in our college campuses in America, 75% of college students have experienced anxiety, stress, or depression. That is not a problem. That's an epidemic. And it has invaded Western culture. For us to, as, a, as Christians, put a blind eye to it or just act like we can ignore it is the wrong approach. I can remember years ago when Australia began to recognize the, the, the severity of what today we call dep uh, mental diseases, depression, anxiety, and so on and so forth. They posted in every public bathroom in the nation, inside the public bathrooms, they posted signs about, about the severity of mental illness. They went so far as to do a national campaign that was published in their airline magazine 
that they went a whole month to where the entire nation of Australia was asked to walk up to strangers and say, are you all right? Because they recognized the severity. Now, did it go away? No, it's growing. And there's reasons why it's growing that I want to address. And then I was shocked two weeks ago when I read about this young pastor, 30 years old in Southern California, married with three little boys, had a growing church, dynamic ministry, looked the picture of happiness. Western culture has taught us to look good and then suffer in silence because sometimes we don't deal with things out of embarrassment. He attempted suicide on a Friday. He completed suicide the next day on Saturday. Tragedy. A pastor left behind a wife and three boys that have to live with a memory of a dad. Tremendous work, tremendous work, tremendous church, tremendous ministry. Now, why did he do that? Obviously, there was signs. Obviously, there was reasons. For me to stand up here and assume that everybody I'm looking at in this vast congregation is fine would be an absolute atrocity because a great majority of people that I'm looking at this morning have deep issues that are going on inside their life. A lot of you have, are under stress. Some of you have areas of anxiety. Some of you are, 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 have a borderline clinical depression or full-blown clinical depression going on in your life. There's struggles that are happening right now. And for us not to address those issues and get to the heart of those issues and find remedy for those issues would be an injustice. Almost a little over 20 years ago, I've been in ministry a long time, and, and uh, my wife and I were in the, I mean, the heart of everything. The church, our church grew rapidly. And um, with that comes a lot of challenges. And about a little over 20 years ago, I found myself literally, it, it's almost like I woke up one day, Pastor David, just woke up and my world caved in. Now, I recognize that there's a back end to everything. Things just don't happen overnight. There's a process that brings you to that point, although it felt like it just happened. And, and, and uh, um, I ended up about three or four weeks after that, in a hospital, diagnosed with clinical depression. Now, for years, I never talked about this because it was such an embarrassment to even address issues like this in public in the church world. But because of all that you see going on, and with the increase of loneliness that's occurring within America, did you realize this is the first time in American history that one-third of all Americans now live completely alone? Loneliness is a major, major factor towards mental illness. So I found myself in that position. And I would like to say that, you know, everything, I mean, I found myself and everything went away. It didn't. That somebody laid hands on me and poof. And that would be wonderful. But sometimes in the instantaneous of a miracle, the problem will just reoccur again because you don't know what brought it on to begin with. And so there was an intern. I remember sitting in that hospital room. I was only there for four days, and an intern walked in. And I don't know who he was. I don't think he ever gave me his name. He just walked in. I think God sent him. He sat down on the bed. He looked at my chart. He looked at me. He said, you've got clinical depression. You're going to have to change the way you live, and it's going to take a while. And he walked out. 
Now, I would love to tell you that from that moment, I was on a trajectory of greatness. And that wasn't true. I'm the type of guy, you know, everybody's different. I'm the type of guy that's going to probably self-heal self -heal myself. So I came out of that thing, and I went on a tangent, literally, Lane. I went on a tangent. I went out and uh, found some naturopathic doctor in Houston, flew down there, and bought five, no, $1,800 of vitamins. Could you believe that? I look back at it now. I mean, I came back with, this, with, a, with a grocery sack, Super, everything, everything said super on it. Super B, super this, super that, super that. And I began to swallow those vitamins like they were going out of style. Nothing happened. So then I went and I thought, well, okay, maybe I need herbs. So I went to some herbal doctor. He gave me herbs. I even went to a Chinese guy that gave me Chinese brain pills. They were the littlest things I ever saw. I thought, how could that little pill affect my brain? And that didn't help. Then I went to an acupuncturist. Now, this was all over a process of about seven months. The acupuncturist, I mean, he put needles all over me, lit them on fire, and, and uh, I, I mean, I got, I got so tired. I got, I got sleepy. That didn't do anything for me. And so I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm just saying they didn't help me. I'm not, you do what you want. I went on, I did, I did pharmaceuticals, and, and that, just made, that just clogged my brain up. And then... Um, what else did I do? Oh, that, that no, I, I, I won't go to everything. But after months of running myself emotionally ragged, trying to heal me, I got to a point where I said, that's it. And I took two pieces of wood, white wood, and I nailed them together and made a cross. Took a shovel. Walked out behind the fence in my backyard with a bag of pills and I dug a hole and I buried them, filled it up, stuck a cross on the ground, got out on my knees and say, I give up. And I pray, said, God, forgive me. And then things slowly began to shift. And as the months and even years progressed, I discovered several things. Hindsight's 2020. And I want to pass those things on to you because I am convinced that today is much more than just a message. It's got a prophetic word that will penetrate. The Bible said God's word is a sword, a fire, and a hammer. That is, it has the ability to pierce, to ignite, and to break areas off of our life that need to be broken. And it's my prayer that over the next few moments, if you'll listen, I can take 20 years of what I've lived and put it into your heart, and you can find freedom and a real biblical transformation. The first thing I discovered in my own walk is that whether you call it depression or anxiety or mental illness, it's the layering of toxicity, toxic thoughts upon the human soul. The human soul is not like the human spirit. The human soul is fragile. We begin to gather in life day in, day out, whether they're thoughts of criticism, whether they're thoughts of fear, whether they're thoughts of envy, whether they're thoughts of, of unforgiveness or bitterness. You can't go through life unscathed. 
You're always going to find rejection in life. You're always going to find the people that are closest to you can hurt you the most. People that I don't know can't hurt me because I don't know them. But people that are the closest to me can hurt me because I've opened up areas and arenas of my life. And so as that process begins to happen, the older we begin to get, and because we live in such an awkward culture to where we have eliminated the very biblical things that can bring us out, we've closed the door to those things. Those things are, are grow. They're, they're amplified. Loneliness will amplify everything. And so in the process of that, on a day-to-day basis, we begin to allow the toxicity of thought. Thoughts can be uh, he- healing. Thoughts can be toxic. And as those thoughts get, uh, layer themselves on the human soul, at first they're unnoticed. But toxic thoughts attract toxic thoughts. Just like good thoughts attract good thoughts. Joy thoughts attract joy thoughts. Toxic thoughts will attract. Birds of a feather will flock together. They'll find an affinity with each other. And they'll begin to layer themselves until the day comes. It might take a year. It might take two years, whatever, until the layering of toxicity upon the human soul can no longer sustain it, and it breaks. And when it breaks, it floods. And you feel it physically, you'll feel it emotionally, you'll feel it mentally. And you'll go in, and you'll get diagnosed as a result of it. You might get a pharmaceutical pill. I'm not against any of them. I'm just telling you, they're not going to hit the root of it. There's something that's going to affect a chemical balance in your body. That's why we have changed the name of depression. In the 1950s, it was called cracking up. In the 1960s and 1970s, depression was called a nervous breakdown. And then it was called clinical depression. Today it's called a chemical imbalance. It's the same thing. We keep changing the name to make it more palatable so somebody can say, well, you just have a chemical imbalance. The reason why people have a chemical imbalance is because the toxicity, all thoughts affect chemicals. Do you realize that one thought can affect over 2,000 chemicals inside of your physical body? Stanford Research, did, they did a whole research on it. Thoughts affect you. There's over 1,300 wrong chemical reactions that occur inside the human body just through fear and worry, and it affects over 30 different hormones in the human body. So, sir, sir, your body's out of whack. It's out of whack. It's not out of whack because there's something wrong with your body. It's out of whack because there's something wrong with our thoughts. Are you with me? So I discovered that in the process of all this, that most people wait until those things hit or create a problem before they ever do anything about it. We don't have to come to church and be preached for an hour to be convicted to take a bath. You're going to clean your body because you know, you and I know that it picks up debris on a daily basis by the same token. We understand that, and if we don't bathe it, and we let it go long enough, that debris will build up and it will attract a disease. The same thing's true with the human soul. If it's not cleansed on a daily basis, it picks up debris until the the toxicity of the human soul will bring in. Ask yourself a question sometime. Do mosquitoes make the water bad or is the water bad and and brings the mosquito? No. 
Good water does not attract mosquitoes. The water has to go bad and then it attracts them. The oxygenation of it has to go out. The same thing is true with the human mind. Same thing is true with the human body. Something has to go out to cause something else to come in. Are you with me so far? So I found out that at the end of every day, and I do this all the time, at the end of every day, I don't do it religiously, but at the end of every day, I purposely recognize that I have to remove any toxic thoughts from my life, any thought, any memory, every idea that I might have had today that's not in harmony with the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God. i got to let the Holy Spirit point out certain things, attitudes, opinions, a wrong word, Something that I picked up that's toxic, because if I let that thing build, it'll start attracting more. If I allow a critical or a cynical attitude inside of me, I'll get more critical and more cynical, and more critical and more cynical, and more critical and more, and then I'll attract people that'll support my criticism and support my cynic attitude until it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and I collapse under the weight of it. You're, you're not meant to, you and I are meant, look at the fruit of the Spirit. We are meant to live under the joy, the joy, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Those thoughts bring life, they bring love, they bring strength, they bring health, they flood the human, the human, they release beautiful chemicals and hormones that flood the human body. Every time I think on love, I think on faith, I think on joy, I think of peace. All those things work for me, not against me. So you got to remove those. I, I was raised, I was, I was raised in Northern California. I say that reluctantly because California's going off. I mean, they're just weird. Their laws are weird. And so as a kid, I used to cut people's grass. They give you, I get, made $2 to my lawnmower, my fuel. That's when fuel was 27 cents a gallon. That's pretty good. I'd cut some of these grass, you know. They give me two bucks. I was cutting this guy's backyard. I still remember. His name was Henry Dawson. Still remember his name. And he had an orange tree. And I remember cutting, and I remember looking at them oranges. Those are the sickest-looking oranges. They're little puny-looking. Looked like, looked like a shriveled-up prune. And I thought, that's ugly orange. And then I looked at the base of that orange tree. If you know anything about fruit trees, you'll know that at the base of fruit trees, they can grow what they call a sucker. And a sucker comes right. It's, it's, it looks just like it's, it's part of the tree. It grows out from it. And it, it's well-named. It sucks the life out. It's incapable of producing fruit, yet it takes the life out of the tree. And I saw that. I went home. And I grabbed an axe. An axe. Oh, yeah. And I crawled up underneath that tree. And I took my axe. And I killed it. I killed the sucker. I killed it. Picked it up. Threw it over the back fence. The next year, big oranges. Because I killed the sucker. Toxic thoughts will suck the very life out of us. And drain us from bearing the fruit that God intended us to have. you got to kill them. And the moment you get rid of them, replace it with the presence, the love, the life, the goodness. Allow God's presence to replace it. The second thing, second thing, 
Second thing, I like to hit stuff, you know, nothing to hit up here. I'm, I'm in a, and the second thing, I saw this in a movie. For years, I told people that was the, one of the, one of the Godfather movies. Until I had somebody in a church service said, I've seen every Godfather movie. And the scene you just talked about is not in any Godfather movie. So at this point, I have no idea what movie this was. I have no idea. None. But I knew there was two Italian men. One was old, one was young. And they walked into a lake. The old guy reached down his hand. He picked up a rock from the bottom of the lake. He looked at the young guy and he said, you are like this rock. Surrounded by water, but unpenetrated by the water you've been surrounded with. I think that's a picture at that time of me. I was surrounded by people, but I was unpenetrated by the people I was surrounded with. Western culture today, we're surrounded. We could go anywhere. There's 320 million people that live in America, but we tend to live alone. Even if we're with people, we're isolated. Isolation's dangerous. We're the only culture. I won't get into that too, too long. We're surrounded. We have 30% of Americans live alone. The rest of us that don't live isolated lives. Everything in the Bible was around relationships. We live in a relational depletion within this country. And it's killing us. One of the reasons why I get excited when I hear about joining a group, getting involved getting connected with people in a small group, a connect group. It's because it brings us back. Those, those groups aren't there just because we want to fill up space, just because the life church has nothing else to do. So let's create some groups. No, no, they're there because we desperately need them in our culture. I have to have people in my life that I feel safe enough with. And if I'm going to get safe with you, I've got to get to know you. Because I'm not going to open up my heart to anybody because I don't know what you're going to do when I open up my heart to you. So I've got to get to know you long enough and stay with you long enough. That's why when I get involved and you get planted, in the, that's why the Bible said plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you'll flourish in the courts of your God. I I got to get to know you. We got to eat food together. Friends, listen, we, we, we need to come. There used to be a time where people actually invited somebody to their home instead of a restaurant. And inside of a house, we used to have these antiques. We called them tables. They were circular, oval, square, or rectangular. And they had a thing called chairs that were around this thing called a table. And there would be somebody in a thing called a kitchen that cooked. Cooked. I know that's an antiquated word. A lot of women don't know how to cook anymore. And then they brought the food out. And we didn't stare at a screen. We actually looked at a face and we did an old-fashioned thing called talking and we didn't food was not a means to an end it was a means within itself 
And as the process, sometimes it would be two hours and three hours. I was in Italy several years ago, and an old pastor from Dolo, Italy, outside of Venice, invited Ginger and I to his house, and we sat in his kitchen as his wife cooked. Little kitchen, a little table, and three and a half hours later, we were still talking and opening and laughing and listening to each other's stories. That's the way people used to live. They weren't doing it some other, and as a result, and you go back to the Bible, Jesus did almost everything around food. He came all the way to the Last Supper right before the cross, and what did he do? He chose to have a meal around a table with the men that he had labored with for three and a half years, and then when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of a table with food. Everything in the Bible was a table with food because we desperately need each other. You need to live beyond your husband and beyond your wife. If you're married in here and it's just you and your spouse, you are what we call, you're, 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 it's, an old, it's a term called cocooning because you think everything exists because we got a lot of young girls nowadays that when they marry, they always say, well, I'm going to marry my best friend. Fine, wonderful. We want your spouse to be your best friend. But in the advent of that girlfriend, you need some other girlfriends. And guy, you need some other guys around you. Because if you don't get some guys, and those gals don't get some gals, you're going to try to make your husband into a woman. Oh, yes. Because he comes home and you are all emotional. And you try to tell him your emotions and he looks at you with his mouth hanging open. He doesn't understand you. He will never understand you. He is incapable of understanding you because he is a M-A-N, a man. And men do not understand the emotions of a woman. And so you want a guy in bed, but a woman during the day. What you need is another girlfriend, preferably older than you, that you can open up your emotions to, that'll settle you down and say, Honey, I understand. And she'll walk you through it. And guy, you need some guy because you try to talk to your wife as though she was a guy. And she's not. Are you hearing me? That's why we need the relationship. I'm going to give you one more. You ready? And help you help myself. My God, I got to skip stuff. Let me tell you, this is powerful. The nation of Australia is absolutely fantastic in Summer Olympics. Per capita, they bring home more medals than any nation on the planet. Per capita. It's true. You look at it. They only got 20 million people. But in the Winter Olympics, they suck. They never won a gold until a guy by the name of Stephen Bradbury came along. And to this day, they call it the Bradbury effect. You see, Bradbury was a speed skater, he did the thousand meter. He wasn't even that good. But he stayed with it. Stayed with it. In fact, before he ever won the gold, he was impaled by another speed skater and lost four liters of blood. That'll end a career. 
but not with Bradbury. He continued. A few years later, he broke his neck. They said, you'll never skate again, but he kept skating. In 2002, in Salt Lake City, Utah, during the Winter Olympics, Stephen Bradbury brought home the gold for the nation of Australia. He raced in the semifinals. In the semifinals, he came in third. Third won't get you anywhere. But after he came in third, they found out that the guy that came in second was disqualified. That moved him up to number two. He went to the finals. He was at, they started the race. He was the last guy. Everybody else, he was the, the last, he wasn't that, he was steady, but he was the last. When all of a sudden, on the last lap, the Chinese skater fell, took out the whole pack. Everybody laid on the ground, and here's old Bradbury. Sailed into gold, because there was nobody left. Hey, all on the ground, that's why they call it the Bradbury effect. Now listen to this scripture, are you ready? Ecclesiastes 9, 11, the NLT. He says, I have observed something under the sun. I love this. I read this the other day. I thought it reminded me so much of Pastor Wald. It was incredible. I have observed something under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being at the right place at the right time. Now, it's interesting when we first read that, we think, whoa, chance? Well, the word chance is translated from the Hebrew as Korah. It doesn't mean chance. It means God-appointed time. You see, there is no Hebrew word for coincidence. There is no Hebrew word for chance. There is such a thing, though, as a God-appointed time. And to me, this meant everything. Because so much stress in our world comes from striving. So much stress in our world comes from trying to be the, the man, the woman, so much of it comes from trying to strive for position, trying to strive for possession. And what God is saying in this scripture is relinquish, relinquish, relinquish the control of your life. Relinquish the reins of your life and trust me because I can put you at the right place at the right time when nobody else can. I can position you for a God-appointed time in your life. We are killing ourselves with, with creating our own stress, our own anxiety. God, we got singles that want to get married so bad they're full of stress. We got young couples that want to buy a house so bad they're full of stress. We got other people that want a, a position or a possession that they're creating levels of their own of their own unhappiness. And God says, relinquish my grace is so grace doesn't begin and end with salvation it continues afterwards my grace is sufficient there is a thing that god's saying if you'll give me the reins if you'll just 
If you will take every day and simply do your best, I will position you. I will have an appointed time for you. I will put you at the right place at the right time when nothing else would work. It doesn't always go to the strongest. It doesn't always go to the most educated. It doesn't, always, it doesn't have to because God's grace will walk over everybody else. Will, will, will look through everybody else that thinks they can do it on their own and said, I'm looking for the one that believes I can do it through them. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. With me stand up with me stand up with me if you're here if you're here if you're here tonight if you're here this morning this afternoon whenever it is and you'd say god that's me i've been striving i've got stress i've got anxiety i've got depression i need a god i want a god i want to relinquish the reins of my life i want a god appointed time i want you to come up here just quickly come 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 from all over the auditorium just begin to come because I believe this is a word from heaven for you right now. Just begin to come. Come right now. Fill up this auditorium if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've walked away and you need to come back. I want you to come up here too. Just join these. Say, I've never accepted him. I've never, and I've never asked him into my life. Then you come right now. Don't let this... this the Bible said, today's the day of salvation. This is your appointed time. This is it. So come, 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 come. I want us to pray in just a moment that we're going to worship God for another few moments. But I want you to listen to me. If you come because you want to accept Christ, then just open your heart to him. The Bible said, whoever calls upon his name will be saved. It's not what you say, it's what you mean when you say it. God hears the uttermost cry of the human heart. For those of you, and there's so many, I have pushed myself, I have strived in my life. It's of, it's of almost no value because you create your own anxiety, your own depression. But it's a powerful thing to come to God and literally say, God, you take the reins of my life. That's it. I'll do my best every day. I'll put my, I'll do I'll, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do with all my heart. Bradbury did his best, but he was last until the Chinese guy took out everybody. And old Bradbury had his moment in time. He was at the right place at the right time. I'm telling you, there's such a thing as just showing up. And God says, it's your time. You've got an appointed time. I know this. You've got more than one. You've got appointed to God is appointing times in your future, in your life right now. As we, as we sit here, he's a, and all he wants you to do is give him the reins back. You've been riding that horse too long. Give him the reins. Say, God, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. I relinquish it. I'm not pushing this thing. I'm not going to try to make it happen. I'm going to create my own disappointment. I'm going to get out of sorts with, the, with, with people. I'm, going to try, I'm, I'm trying to make it all. I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to leave the rest to you. That's why the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians, having done all, stand. When you've done everything you can do, there's nothing more you can do. God has an appointed time. Lord Jesus, right now, for those that have come up for salvation or to get their life right with God, if, they'll just, if you'll just open your heart, and just say, Jesus, come into my life. 
Be my Lord and my Savior. Cleanse me of all my sin, of all my past. I accept you in my heart as my Savior. I'll serve you and live for you. If you said that prayer from the bottom of your heart and you said it to God, something is happening in your life. For all those that are up here, because you know you've been pushing, you've been striving, first of all, get rid of all the toxic thoughts. Get rid of them. Don't do it once. Do it every day. Take you ten, five minutes, five minutes, that's all. Five minutes. Same time it takes you to take a shower. Just get rid of them. And then every morning when you wake up, recognize his mercies. His mercies are new. They're new. They're new. In other words, God has mercy waiting for you today. New mercy. New miracles. Wake up with him and say, God, I give you the reins of my life. I'm not going to push this thing. I'll do my best. I'll do my absolute best. But I'm not going to strive and get stressed out anymore. You control the outcome. Whatever it is, whatever it is, Lord, I'm content. Contentment with godliness. The Bible says it's great, great gain. And then I promise you, there's a chapter that God's about to open up. There's a page in your book that he's about to turn. You're going to be somewhere. And you're going to recognize you just ran into a God-appointed time. And you're going to say, God, this is incredible. I didn't even see this coming. This is magnificent. God has an appointed time. He has appointments. You're going to be at the right place at the right time. I don't care. God will move heaven and earth. If you're single, he can find that right. That He can move that person across the world just to get to you. Don't go looking for him. God will bring him to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now. We worship you. We bless you. We thank you. I pray for everyone. Let this linger within us and let this be more than a moment in time. Let it be a daily exercise of our trust and our commitment to you. Let appointed times come from this service from now to the end of the year and beyond. A quora, a God-appointed time. We thank you. Let's just worship God. Let's worship God. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's program at the Live Church. Our prayer is that you've been blessed by this morning's message and that God would continue to speak into your heart throughout the week. We are so excited about what God is doing right here at the Life Church as we connect people with God's purpose. Again, if you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us for a visit at 3301 TLC Way. We have two Sunday morning services for you to choose from, 9.15 and 11 a.m. Again, our prayer is that you've been blessed and we hope you have a great week.